0: Welcome to the Homegrown Podcast, the place where we share the truth about food and farming from our kitchen to yours. I'm your host, Liz Hazelmeyer, along with my husband, Joey. Good morning. And together we hope to inspire, educate, and equip you in your pursuit of true nourishment. So today we're going to be talking about food sourcing. Um, And this is really just going to be a 101 foundational level of how to source real food. And so we're going to cover things like food labels and um, you know, good, better, best options so that we can cater to all different types of budgets. But just as every conversation, whenever you um, sort of attempt to lay down any sort of educational material, there can be some um, challenge met, right? Some some pushback. And I know that I personally have felt this a lot on um, <clears throat> the online community So I just want to preface this conversation and say that we are not going to be outlining um, the perfect way to grocery shop.
1: I think it stands to say that there is no perfect.
0: There's no perfect. And this conversation is more about cutting through some of the confusion, some of the, um, you know, intentional misguiding of consumers and just letting you know sort of like what's out there, what's available, um, what you have at your disposal. And and by no means are we saying you need to utilize every single option here. And, um, you know, the same way we don't tell you like exactly what to eat. Um, I lay out principles. I give, um, you know, <clears throat> personal experience and sort of like what our family does. But Um, This is not a prescriptive space. I'm never prescribing someone to do this or take this much of this or eat this way or buy this thing. Only it's it's just educational. So before anyone um, gets really mad at me, because you know I've been doing this a while and I've I've had that. um, I just want to enter this conversation with like a little bit of you know ground level um, explanation that we are here to help educate inspire and equip you we are not here to tell you how to buy your food or where to buy it um and so obviously everyone you know we want everyone to make responsible financial decisions for their family we know that in different parts of the country accessibility is different we know that food deserts are a real thing we know that even in um rural communities where you know farming is very prevalent it can be really hard to find real food we know that um So prefacing this conversation right off the get go with that information is, uh, how I want to start.
1: That's super good. I, I totally agree. I want to emphasize, and this is not just with food and shopping and sourcing, but whenever you make a decision or you've created a new solution or you pose some options to someone, um, or to anyone, um, no no solution no no um adjustment especially in these arenas is perfect and there will be ways that it could be adapted to be better for just like you said whether you're in another country another state or um or otherwise so um let's let's kick this thing off by talking about where we live yeah provide some context for people
0: it's so funny. I did a poll one time on my Instagram a few months ago and said, "How many of you think that we live on some sort of property or land?" And over sixty percent said that they thought that we did. Which sixty percent of my you know regular story engagement was like a couple hundred, like five to six hundred votes. And I always thought that that was so funny because, um, we live in the suburbs. We live on a you know small cul de sac. Um, Outside of Cincinnati, we, you know, have a creek in our backyard. We don't even have a garden in our own yard. We go to my parents' house to grow our food because our yard is really shaded and it doesn't have a lot of flat land. And so, and we live like three minutes from our local Kroger. Um, So I think that that's an important mention because we don't live on any sort of property. We um, don't cultivate our land in any way right now.
1: We're certainly not against it.
0: Oh, absolutely not. Um, It's just our reality. As a family in the suburbs, it's almost this funny thing where it pushes us, I think, even deeper to connect with the food producer because we don't have some of that, right? Like we don't get to go out and um, like feed our chickens or collect their eggs or milk a cow. I always joke and say like, guys, if I had a dairy cow, everyone would know it. You would see me like all over Instagram. I would be obsessed with that thing. Um, but th- we don't. And, and that's okay. And, you know, maybe someday we will have those things. Maybe someday we won't. Um, but this conversation is one to hopefully help pe- people who are um, also living in different segments, um, city living, apartment living, um, out in the suburbs, out in the country, wherever you find yourself there are ways in 2022 to source some of the things that we're talking about today. And so this is not just like for homesteaders and obviously homesteaders are not a hundred percent relying on the food that they grow on their house. I actually love what Kate um, from venison for dinner says, and she says, I don't want to be self-sustainable. I want to have connections with farmers and know that I can buy things from local trusted neighbors um, because food is such a community thing. Mm-hmm. So, I really like her approach. I really, and not that there's anything wrong with wanting to be able to live off your land, 100%. I think that's awesome. That is not our current reality, so.
1: I mean, even years ago, there was was a very, the community aspect was real, right? Um, You weren't going, you weren't waking up in the morning and um, tending to your, the, the, the cattle that were for beef, milking your cows, you know, also, you know, planting your seeds for the next, you know, the upcoming summer. And uh, you had, I mean, you might've been doing a, a number of those things, but you had a friend that was like, Hey, I just planted X, Y, Z acres of corn. And you're like, right on. I've got, you know, six cows. I'll trade you uh, a couple of gallons of milk. And you, 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 he, this guy's going to give you a couple dozen years of corn. I don't know. Like that was, that was the... Mm-hmm. The reality back then was these communities were really able to come together and, and, um, and create this ecosystem. So um, what are some of the common challenges that come with food sourcing?
0: I think number one is food labeling is so confusing. Um, food packaging also, because there's a lot of packaging slogans that are not technically like regulated labels. Um, So the consumer is just sort of left to decipher these things on their own. And unless you are like me and you have um, an interest in just like digging through this stuff at 530 in the morning, you probably have fallen prey to some of these food labels before. And I have too, which is why I want to have this conversation today, because um, there are certain food labels that um, don't live up to the standards that we think they do. Um, And then there are other ones that are, you know, maybe not labeled that are still a fantastic choice. So I think food labels sometimes give us the illusion that we know for sure what is in a food product and that we have full transparency from the company or the regulatory agency, but that's not accurate. And then also um, it sort of puts farmers and you know local food producers um especially when you're buying direct from people at this weird disadvantage because what if they didn't pay the money to become USDA organic certified or what if they can't afford to purchase this certification but they are growing maybe even beyond those standards right so like how can we facilitate having conversations with them so that you can maybe buy something a little bit cheaper but higher quality so sometimes it's a little bit inverse um the other thing i want to say on that same point is like A higher price point doesn't necessarily mean that it's better option for you or better for the planet. So, a lot of um, trickery. It's not all intentional. It's some of it's just confusion. It's because we live in a capitalistic culture. It's because you know, food (laughs) industries um, have marketing. You know, the food industry uh, marketing departments are a real thing, right? People are paid an annual salary to figure out um, human psychology and then pitch to you why you should buy their food. So again, I don't want to paint this like boogeyman, we're scared of big food. But I do want to have a conversation about um, some of the ways that those tactics are utilized so that you do end up purchasing their food, whereas um, there might be a better choice for you.
1: Right on. Let's, uh, let's jump into some of these food labels and some of the confusion that might come with them. And um, just to kick us off let's uh let's start with organic mm-hmm. let's start with the the organic food label and we all know usda organic is um is that label that that i know that when i go to the store even for me uh, oftentimes i'm looking for that label mm-hmm. um but there's 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 a, there's alternate forms of organic and um, i think i think that was that that's that's a great starting place tell me about organic
0: So it's funny to me, it's always been funny to me that we labeled organic versus labeling conventional. And it's sort of like this like naming of the other thing, right? I think we talked about this in the raw dairy episode where it's like, why do I have to even have a regulation or something to say that something was grown um, without synthetics? Why can't I just have a, a portion of food that says, hey, we were grown with synthetics? Well, because no one would buy that stuff, frankly. Um, now, organic USDA organic is overall um, meant to say that you know no genetically modified organisms are in anything USDA organic. Um, that synthetic fertilizers or inputs, um, pesticides, herbicides are not used, but there are still a number of herbicides and pesticides that can be used under the organic label. Um, And uh, it looks different for produce and meat, right? So meat that is USDA organic um, technically should have access to pasture 100% of the year, um, unless weather, you know, doesn't permit that, which if you think about like different regions of the country, that's not really um, doable. But that can also mean that that USDA organic meat um, is supplemented still with grain feed. So if you're purposefully trying to avoid any sort of meat that has been fed any corn or soy, even if it's organic corn and organic soy. Um, The organic label is not going to help you with that um, search. Mm. Um, And then, you know, there's other issues too, because the USDA organic label allows for um, hydroponics. And so if you really dig deep into the philosophy of organic farming or biodynamic farming, um, which I say is, is like a step above organic and, and actually just listened to a whole talk on this. And really what it is, is about the relationship between the, you know, person cultivating the food and every other part of that ecosystem. It's, it's like a, it's a very philosophical, uh, way of farming that has real tangible things that they do to create the best food ever. But, um, I forget where I was going with that. Um, Oh, so the whole purpose of those two models, organic and biodynamic are to build into ecosystems and build into soil health and promote, um, the production of topsoil, which is something that, you know, if you hear on the news, like we're losing rapidly, Mm -hmm.
1: it's the long play.
0: It's the long play and hydroponics. While yes, you can grow something without, you know, maybe inputs (laughs) because there's no soil. Um, It calls into question the nutrient density. And there's actually some uh, differing research on here. Some people say like nutrient quality is the same. Some people say like actually it's a little bit better with hydroponics. You know, strawberries grown hydroponically actually have a little bit more of this. Um, at the end of the day, it comes down to um, what's the goal with cultivating food. And if your goal is to support natural ecosystems, then hydroponics aren't accomplishing that. And I know that the um, organic farmers really pushed back on the USDA's acceptance of hydroponics because of it butts up against that philosophy. Um, And then hydroponics also, like you have to account for the electricity needed, the, the materials needed. What is
1: hydroponics? I don't even know what that is. It,
0: it's where you're growing things, um, basically in water, in isolated tubs of water. Got it. Usually, sometimes indoors under I artificial. I do know what that is now. Okay. Yeah. So. Um,
1: and so that that method can be um, within the current USDA organic parameters. Yes. And and the the thought is is that while that may not be providing any like toxic runoff or like, it's not like it's going to hurt you, but you are saying that there is definitely a question to be had about the nutritional, um, like the, the, the density there of like nutrition, because it's not growing in the soil and pulling nutrients out of, you know, whether it's, it's, um, you know, whatever, whatever kind of nutrients are within the soil, whether it's calcium or whatever, but like, and also you're saying that when it comes to, Supporting the ecosystem, that this is clearly something like where the other was was a little bit more, hey maybe, but this is definitely not supporting the ecosystem in a positive way.
0: Right, and so like I said, the materials needed to um, grow things hydroponically, the water, the the electricity usage. This is why, um, you know, I'm not going to drop names, but we have like a local, um, pretty big indoor farming facility here in the area and, you know... yes it's grown without herbicide and pesticide but you know what else and they have like this little infomercial too about how the plants never go without a a specific nutrient that they might need because they have um they have special biomarkers and they're constantly reading um different levels to like almost pamper these vegetables Mm. it's so strange that the uh the infomercial it's like a youtube video on their website and it's it paints like these vegetable spas virtually of like the most ideal growing scenario for that tomato they can cultivate that in their controlled environment and to me personally and this might make people upset i don't believe that that's how we as living beings thrive is just Mm. getting every little thing um instantly handed to us and um, setting us up to not struggle at all or to not have to like dig our roots deeper here to get this water source or to not have to, um, maybe adjust our metabolic process in some way. So it might be like, I might be a little bit, um, too harsh on hydroponics. I'm not saying that like you can't grow stuff in your basement. That's a great option if you want to grow things and you, um, or you live in an apartment and you want to have one of those like, uh, I don't know what they're called, pillar, column things. Um, we have friends who have that. But the point is to say that that's the f- only future of farming or that that's what we can rely on. Um, it's missing the other side piece of like, hey, we have this earth still. We have this planet still. Mm. Um, two different worlds of thought there. So so
1: organic, wrapping that up. <sighs> so
0: long. Yeah, sorry. Um, so USDA organic is one thing. And I know like we talk about the USDA so much. Um, They are a valuable organization and they provide us some regulatory um, parameters around our food. Um, But there are a lot of people who don't align with that anymore and who are upset by that. So you have seen a couple sort of like private, um, I'm going to call them like industry standards being born. One of those is um, the Rodell Institute's... um, Let's see what it is called. Regenerative Organic Certified. So they're trying to take organic practices and and marry them with regenerative practices, um, and create a new certification under the Rodale Institute. And then you also have the Real Organic Project, which is another um, private industry standard that they are trying to birth to basically say. Hey, us as farmers, we want to build into the soil. Um, We don't align. You know, even you can have like organic dairy can still be utilizing um, cows in confinement. And so there's some gray area there. And they basically want to cut through that and educate the consumer and say, Hey, when we mean organic, we mean these things. So Mm. I highly encourage everyone to check out the Real Organic Project um, and the regenerative organic certified I have yet to see like these actual products in the store right now, but if you can at least learn from their programs and maybe see the differences, um, then I think that's a good resource
1: right on so we're gonna to touch on these these labels throughout the remainder of this of this um this episode and and there'll there'll even be times where we give some um, soft recommendations of what we would. Encourage people to investigate for their own homes, uh, but but before we get there, let's go let's go through some of these other labels that can be a little bit confusing, um, and then uh, we'll definitely be touching on them throughout the rest of the episode. So, uh, GMOs.
0: Yeah, um, this is a new evolving one as well because prior to January 2022, um, GMO labeling was not standard. Now they are. Um, releasing a bioengineered label that is required for anything that might contain GMOs um, that or that has detectable GMOs um, to use their language. So, um, know that if you are buying organic, you are avoiding GMOs, okay? If you're buying non-GMO project verified, which I think a lot of us know that um, label, the non-GMO project, that does not mean that that Thing was grown organically. You can still be grown conventionally, but not be genetically modified. So there's conventional, meaning um, natural seed um, grown or cultivated with you know synthetic fertilizer or input or whatever that farmer needs to do to grow that food. And then there's genetically modified foods, which there's only ten crops in the U.S. that are genetically modified. Most of that is either going to animal feed or being processed to create, um, industry things like fuel and and Mm. stuff like that. Um, or oils, a lot of, a lot of seed oils are, are produced with GMO, um, corn and soy and cotton specifically. But, um, Yeah, so GMO is something where if you're like, hey, we want to avoid genetically modified organisms, organic is always the best way to know that that's not in there. The non-GMO project, like I said, will avoid GMOs, but doesn't mean that your food was grown without the other things. Um, And now we're going to start to see this bioengineered label on foods, which will be helpful. Um, You can already, if you flip on the back of a package, I remember there was a gluten-free pretzel that I was buying for a period of time a couple years ago. And I flipped the package over and it said made with um, bioengineered, you know, something. And I was like, oh, well, there would never be a GMO sticker on the front. But if you flip the back, you can usually see. Sometimes it's tricky and they just post a uh, um, QR code. And so you have to scan that QR code to see it. So sometimes it's like really hidden. Um But, and again, that's mainly for processed packaged foods. Like you're not going to be walking around your produce section and seeing a ton of GMO foods. Um, That might be a blanket statement. But from what I've read, yes, apples and potatoes and papaya and uh, some summer squash can be genetically modified. But I would say most of the time the stuff you're buying um, is... that's genetically modified is in the form of uh, oils or byproduct, like soy and corn byproduct. Um, so many corn and soy different um, varieties that you find in foods. So. so we've
1: got GMO that that kind of runs together with this this other term is called bioengineered. They kind of are one and the same.
0: Bioengineered is a new <clears throat> term, is the new accepted term for genetically modified got it, foods. Got
1: yeah. it. And so the next one that we want to quickly touch on is gluten-free.
0: Yeah. So this is a food label that sometimes you see on foods that would never naturally contain gluten. I think some people get mad at that. Um, I know I've been like, okay, come on guys, gluten-free rice. Um, the main reason why that exists there is because we have processing plants that process multiple different types of food. And so for people with really severe allergies um, to nuts or gluten or corn or soy, they have to say that it was processed in a facility that did not also process those foods. So, um, you know, don't be fooled. Oats are always um, gluten-free, but you know, the processing plant might also process other types of grains, which may contain gluten. So, um, you know, you can roll your eyes at the gluten free label, which I have many times, but also understand that those with allergies ha- really rely on that mm. um, specification because they don't want to get sick from cross contamination. Mm-hmm. So, um, it's one of those that, um, yeah, sometimes appears a little bit silly, but then when you consider, you know, folks who really need that. You're like, yeah, okay, let's absolutely label yeah. that rice gluten-free.
1: Totally. Totally. Um, I love that you, you said it that way and we could have gone a direction of gluten-free and said, oh man, the gluten-free is this, uh, uh, people with celiac, it's totally real. They are, they are, um, uh, th- there may be a number of ways that we could approach that situation. But at the end of the day, conventional wheat, which is everywhere yeah um, can truly mess this person up
0: absolutely and
1: uh, i know I know i've have, I have many friends and people that I'm close to that um, are not just sensitive to gluten but also but but truly um, um, have have celiac and 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 um, even when they're buying spices mm-hmm. like garlic powder if they're buying that, um, you know cinnamon, I mean crazy stuff where you know, if they're if they're not buying it responsibly, like for themselves, um, they're, they that they can they can experience some some minor to major repercussions. And yeah. so um, just to throw it out there though, um I don't experience that for me personally. And so for me and for people that maybe are like me that that can withstand <laughs> those minor trace amounts of Of gluten in their other products and what we when i say minor trace amounts i'm talking like the machine that that put it into a package put this into a package um i'm i'm not i'm not watching the labels trying to make sure that that uh, because because this is a sourcing episode just want to let people know that hey if you are gluten free or you have celiac and you need to avoid gluten this is something that you should be watching for uh, but what we're not saying is a bl- blanket statement. Hey, make sure you're looking at your rice packages for gluten-free mm-hmm. because I'm not saying that or we're not saying that. Mm-hmm. Um, responsibly sourced. Moving on. Tell me about responsibly sourced.
0: Yeah, this is one that I don't really know a ton about. I don't think anyone really knows a ton about. Um, so we had this conversation like in terms of coffee, right, in the coffee episode with Derek. And uh, it's tricky because when something is not <clears> – <throat> usda regulated um like the organic label is there can be some difference in how people um i guess
1: treat their producer
0: yeah or or um how they define responsibly sourced for Mm. themselves and then how they put that on packaging so i think ethically sourced responsibly sourced um you know you can see responsibly sourced on a lot of seafood and you say okay well what does that actually look like i don't have a super good answer for that one um i think that it sounds really nice to say that i source this responsibly does that give you a good picture of like how far that food traveled or what they're doing to maintain a healthy population or ecosystem or um how well they're paying their um farmers or ranch hands or anyone that's touching that food. No, it doesn't really tell you that. So that is, again, where um, having a conversation with the people and buying direct is really, really helpful. Um, so. Because otherwise
1: it truly is hard to know. And that's the reason why this kind of idea of promoting Responsibly Source was created. Yeah. Is that if you're not meeting with the producers or you have no ability to, right. um, it's hard to know. what. <laughs> Like, how, how you know, hey, I'm walking into the store and I'm buying a jug of milk. You don't know. Like, you, it's not like there's a, a phone number there you could call and say, gee, I'm considering this purchase for this milk. Uh, and I had the direct line to the farmer.
0: Well, now I will say with a coffee episode, something I thought was so cool was you can do that. So with Derek's Coffee at Yield, there's a QR code on the back of each bag where you can literally meet the farmer that produce those coffee that's beans. That's right.
1: On social media, you can like link so, up with them. and That's incredible. I would love
0: to see more people doing that. And I think this whole conversation again is we're telling this weird line of like, yes, we all you know kind of roll our eyes or scoff at big um, industry regulation because it can fall short a lot of the time. But also we kind of rely on that stuff to for the consumer when we can't have those conversations. So this is not a dogging all food um, labeling, but it's also like, just an honest conversation,
1: totally um this is a fun one that i that, that that uh that's actually fun i just I go through this often. I eat a lot of hard boiled eggs I, I I love the the protein fat content they're really convenient uh, peeling them can be annoying yeah but for for me um I recently learned a little bit about eggs, and I feel like there's probably a lot of people like me out there that don't truly know um what you have shared with me
0: yeah so you called me one time and you're like hey i'm shopping for lunch i'm getting organic eggs like what else do i need and i was like uh, actually like are you still in the egg section you're like yeah why i'm like well um if there's ones that say pasture raised that would be ideal and you're like okay i see free range and i was like <laughs> uh, no <laughs> there's
1: so many eggs dude. so
0: there's so many so there's cage free right but Um, I think a lot of us have seen the, quote, cage-free chickens, which are just a bunch of chickens piled on top of each other. That, yes, they're not in cages, but it doesn't mean that they're outside. It doesn't mean that they have plenty of room. It just means that there's no metal bars between them. Um, Free range is another one of those things that um, there's some ambiguity there. So what does that mean? Do they have a tiny little door and one of the openings of the shelter that lets them hypothetically go out and forage in the grass? Maybe. They're free. Yeah, they're free range. If they
1: choose to go out, they can go.
0: Um, I remember when I was visiting Polyface Farms and listening to Joel Salatin talk, uh, he was saying that a lot of the poultry production... Um, the indoor poultry production, they purposefully leave their lights on 24 hours a day so that chickens don't sleep, so that they eat more, so that they produce. Uh, And that might be for meat birds only. I'm not sure if he was talking about egg layers too, but um, there are different you know, manipulatives that people utilize in poultry production. And, uh, they're not always, um, well, they're usually not for the animal's welfare. So eggs are tricky. I usually tell people, um, look for pasture raised eggs. Um, eggs are also one of those things that in the grand scheme of things, they're pretty cheap. I mean, I think the most expensive carton of eggs would be like, I've seen them like seven or nine dollars. I don't buy eggs that are seven to nine dollars. I'm just trying to give a good example of like for the nutrient density, even that is relatively cheap compared to like a five or six dollar box of cereal, which is like virtually zero nutrient density, right? So eggs are a great thing because they're pretty much everywhere. Mm. Um, If you have a neighbor or a friend or, um, you know, a local farm who you can get eggs from, do that. If you don't have anyone near you who's maybe selling eggs, um, then pasture-raised at the grocery store is good. There's also like pasture-raised with organic, which means that if they are ever-supplemented feed, then that feed is going to be at least non-GMO and organic. Interesting. So okay. there's different hierarchies. Egg labeling is always really confusing because I think <laughs> when people started waking up to how um, chicken and eggs are produced, they started to get really freaked out. And that's where we saw the birth of some of these ambiguous labels like cage free and free range. So
1: eggs, what a, what a topic. The, uh, the final one, just to, just to touch on this is natural flavors.
0: Oh my gosh. I've been debating all morning about how I was going to approach this because it can get a little bit dicey and I, yeah. So, uh, recently the food babe, um Shared and I don 't know you actually know how recent her post was, but she shared an example of one derivative of natural flavors and unfortunately it's like a gland inside of a beaver's anus, which it just gets wild um, I have the I have the source here and what on earth I know i'm like should I even say this on the podcast?
1: maybe we'll, maybe we'll cut that out um, the, the beaver's called, anus
0: it's called it's called castorum I think I'm saying that right castorum castorum anyways that's um that gland that's extracted out of like the dried booty of a beaver um <laughs> is utilized this to, can't be true it's so true i'm so sorry i'll link it on the show notes because people are gonna be like liz and joey have lost their minds um it's it's what you i can't even keep a straight face that is what is often used for the like Um, quote, natural flavor of raspberry, strawberry, and vanilla. So like your toaster strudels and your Pop-Tarts and all those things that have no actual strawberries or raspberries or vanilla in them. So if you flip the box over and it says vanilla flavoring or whatever, but there's no actual vanilla bean in it or vanilla extract.
1: That's beaver anus.
0: It might be beaver anus. And again, you can look this up on Wikipedia. They say, like, there's no hiding here. Um, This is the U.S. We're we're semi-transparent. And so yeah, that's just one example of like, yes, it can be. And I mean, what do we talk about? Nose to tail eating? Are we scared of a little beaver booty? I don't know.
1: Yikes. I am.
0: Personally. Not
1: in my toaster strudels. <laughs> oh my gosh.
0: So it's one of those things where it's like, first of all, I guess that's not technically vegan. Second of all, which, you know, whatever. Second of all, um it's not like you're eating it in its whole food form, right? They're extracting this out and they are, I gave you zero preference, like warning also. So Joey's hearing this information for the very first time. Um, Anyways, that's one example of how natural flavors can be real shady. Uh, The biggest place I see this, Um, sort of in like the real food world is with the um, like sparkling waters or like the seltzer waters. Oh my gosh. So much of our family loves the seltzer. So
1: much anus. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to have to figure this out. This would be (laughs) PG-13.
0: That's the technical term. I mean, we're not saying anything bad. Uh, Anyways, that's one example of natural flavors. The point is um, you don't know what that is it it's yeah so I won't say any more about the beaver situation but it is a comment
1: enjoy your next lacroix <laughs> like let's let's uh let's uh, uh, let's transition um, okay um, wasn't I really was not prepared for the for that at all I I, I just want to let's just pause for a second because I I do way more preparation for these. Conversations than anyone that's listening to this probably thinks because I definitely probably don't sound like I'm very prepared for these conversations. Um, but I'm currently looking down at, at notes that I started writing on the 13th. What is today?
0: I don't know. So the a couple fifth, of days, the put, put
1: a couple of days into this, and uh, we, you and I, have had a number of conversations. And so yeah, definitely thrown for a loop by the uh, <laughs> by by that little nugget of information. I'm sorry,
0: it does look like a nugget though. Anyway, okay.
1: <laughs> Um, as we're getting into as we're getting out of the confusions of food labels and into uh some some soft suggestions of of things we should be looking for and I say soft suggestions because um there's just so much going on with food uh, there's there's like we said before, there's no perfect solution here there's no perfect recommendation there's no perfect plan um what we can give you though are some some principles and standards and guidelines and things that, that, uh, and, and maybe even some, some soft suggestions of what we do, yeah. uh, to help kickstart your journey, your path. Yeah. Please, so
0: please don't see this as like hard and fast rules or purist mentalities. Drop although that.
1: definitely rethink your LaCroix drinking consumption. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh my gosh,
0: we're going to get at, yeah, we're going to get something.
1: Um, wow. Um, so food groups. Food groups. Let's talk about animal products to start.
0: Yeah. So um, uh, let's go into the good, better, best here um, uh, for good. And a lot of this I'm reading um, from the Real Food Guide, honestly. And there's so much more information in there. But there is some sourcing recommendations that are super handy to um, there's like some website links and some um, really specific brands of different things that I, you know, Like, I love how you said soft recommendations. Um, No affiliation with any brand whatsoever ever here. But um, I'm going to pull some of the information from the Real Food Guide. And so if that's something where you're like, man, I wish I had that on hand, you can grab that too. Um, So for meats, the good for me is, you know, that USDA organic meat, which, um, like I said, technically they should have access to pasture 100% of the year depending on weather, and that's kind of um, a loose one, but, um, or uh, honestly, like, we have bought the Amish chickens before, and, um, you know, it'll say on the front, like, non-GMO feed. Um, That's not something where the USDA is coming in and confirming that, but for me personally, I don't need the USDA's confirmation on every single bit of food that I buy. Um, You'll also see something, especially with chickens, you'll see, like, Uh, raised without antibiotics. But I just want to point out that, um, or sorry, hormone-free. Antibiotics can be used with chickens 100%. You'll see um, hormone-free chicken or raised without hormones or whatever. And uh, hormones are not, synthetic hormone injection is not routinely used with chicken. So you only see that in beef or dairy cows or pork occasionally. Um, And so anytime you see like the hormone label and it's on a different type of meat, um, especially like um, bison or um, other types of like quote wild game that you can buy in the grocery store, that stuff doesn't exist anyway. So it's one of those labels that's kind of thrown on there to make you think that you can pay a higher price, but you don't need to. So um, Amish chickens, Anything organic or grass-fed or pasture-raised that you can find at your grocery store is good. Um, I would say even better would be grass-fed organic from a local grocer or butcher um, or market. Someone that's producing um, near you. And then best would obviously be like homegrown or um, direct from your rancher or your farmer. So.
1: So for animal products, we're talking about eggs. We talked about that a little bit, right? So hey um good recommendation would be from the store right that's yeah. what you're saying and that's that's this pasture raised egg um and then and then better for eggs is what would you say
0: so for is eggs is there three tiers for eggs or yeah. get, okay uh on here i have good is organic or free range eggs from you know your local kroger or a big box store better would be um something more locally sourced and you said
1: free-range, but we meant pasture-raised, right?
0: So I have free-range on here because um, yeah, those two can kind of be interchangeable. Got it. Okay. Honestly, there's not a ton of like, this is what this person says. Got it. Um, pasture-raised is maybe a more like, is a newer term that I think people are adopting. Understood. Um, so like an example for us is when I go down the aisle at the, and see the eggs, <clears throat> there's an organic... Pasture raised brand of eggs that I could buy for like seven to eight dollars for a dozen, and to me, I'm like, there's no way I'm spending that money. Like, I I can get eggs sourced straight from my local farmer that I know those chickens are out on pasture um, for like five forty a, a carton. Is it called a carton? A dozen. Yeah. So. Um, now, if you don't have access directly to that farmer and that seven dollar thing is your best option, and you want to pay that, that's fantastic as well. I'm just saying that again, it's not always an an instance where a higher price point necessarily means that it's better for you. I actually would love to see people eat local eggs. Totally. So, it,
1: so, so eggs check. Um, there's there's free range, pasture raised, um, organic eggs in the store, and then we're 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 saying that the better. And best option of that um, of that animal product would be found uh, locally, where you know the chickens what they're consuming, where they're living, um, etc. So next animal product would be meat. You were starting to you, you were really getting into.
0: Yeah, I, I started with meat, and so if you want to connect directly to your rancher, um, there's plenty of ranches that sell direct, and they can ship to you. Got it. Um, I love Ryle Ranch. We just did a giveaway with them. Um, I actually have, I found a bunch of really good ranches and, um, meat producers that are creating like lunch meats and sausages and cured meats. Cause that's something for me that's really hard to find mm. high quality at the grocery store. Um, and so I'll link a bunch of those in the show notes, but, um, just as an example, let me pull some of these up. There was one called grow and behold, um, which I believe was doing, like, at least all organic and grass-fed. Um, McLean's Organic Nitrate-Free Deli Meat is in Canada. Organic Prairie, Nyman Ranch. Um, you can get American prosciutto from La Quinceira. Um, And so there's – I found a, a good list of some uh, higher quality, um, I'm going to say, like, charcuterie or deli options because mm. – Yes, it's, it's easier to find like a grass organic grass-fed steak at the grocery store. But like there's a couple organic um, options for like cured or lunch meats, but they're not great. And
1: yeah, you're right. There's not much.
0: There's not a ton. So um, that's one of those things where you, it might have to be like an online purchase and it might have to get shipped to your door unless you have a, an awesome in-town butcher or deli. That is house curing or um, like, I, th- I think we have a couple here in Cincinnati that are really legit butcheries um, who are creating those and you can buy them in-house there.
1: And so that's kind of the best option for me. And the, the, that kind of like good option would be, hey, you're going to a store. Yeah. And what are you looking for?
0: And you're going to find like a pasture raised or a, even like I said, the Amish chickens or something that I've Got gotten it. before. Um, it'll say like non-GMO feed on it, which just tells you like, hey, they were probably still fed corn and soy. But at least it wasn't genetically modified. Um, so, yeah, meat is, is a tricky one. There's lots of labels. I always recommend finding someone. So, going to farmmatch.com, localharvest.org, eatwild.com, and even westonaprice.org are great um, sources to get connected with people who can provide you food. The other one I want to cover really quick is dairy, yep. which, um, you know, we talk so much about, but just really quick. I do have like a never category on this one because really ultra pasteurized conventional dairy is um, pretty void of any any good substance that you might want to be gleaning from dairy products. And so um, I say good. A good option is instead non-homogenized, low-temp pasteurized um, dairy, pref- preferably A2, A2. Um, which just is in reference to the type of protein in it. And then best would be whole raw dairy sourced from a local farm. And if that sounds really confusing or scary, and you're like, what's happening on this podcast, there's a whole raw dairy episode um, that goes into deep detail. So um, like I said, the the next best option to local raw dairy is that minimally processed dairy, which is that non-homogenized low temp pasteurized. And there are a couple like nationwide distributors that that do that. Kelowna Supernatural, um, Milk King are both two, two good sources.
1: Right on. Yeah, if you're, if you're wanting to learn more about that raw dairy portion. Um, and, and, and there's a lot of these things that we'll probably do topical discussions that focus and hone in on them in the future. Uh, we've completed the one about raw dairy. Uh, it's, it's, um, it's wherever you find podcasts. Go, mm-hmm. go get after it. Grains, legumes, nuts, and seeds. Let's um, talk about it.
0: Yeah, this is another one where I have a never category, and I don't want that to sound harsh. But I do want to educate the consumer and say that conventional grains and legumes, um, one, can be genetically modified, right? Um, corn and soy, specifically, um, can be genetically modified. Wheat, by the way, is not licensed for genetic modification in the United States as of the date of this podcast. Now, I know that they are pushing for that. That's in development. That's something that we'll probably see come on the market. But I think a lot of people assume that wheat is GMO. And so they buy things like non-GMO oats, which aren't wheat, or non-GMO um, weeded products. But um, those things are not genetically modified. But what those are, this is where the confusion comes, right? wheat um while it's not genetically modified it is often sprayed with glyphosate which is a um desiccant so something that dries out the harvest um dries out the crop just before harvest so if you think about when you harvest wheat you want it to be brown and dry and so that we can mill those berries into flour right well you're not going to harvest lively springy wheat so how can we kill that wheat super fast and dry it out and prepare it for harvest and maybe even get two harvests out of one growing season um you spray it with glyphosate and so that's the issue with conventional wheat is that it is sprayed with that um which by the way glyphosate is the main ingredient in roundup um so much controversy around that topic. I actually am looking forward to doing a full episode on that. Um, But oats are usually heavily sprayed with glyphosate. Same with um, any kind of wheat product that's conventionally grown. Um, And so that's just something you really want to be careful of because I think so much of this uh, push towards eliminating grains or gluten specifically is actually tied to um, some of the stuff that we're doing to the wheat, right? So some of the hybridization, which is different than genetic modification, and then some of the um, applicants, right? Like, for example, that would be this glyphosate. So a good option would be um, or an organic variety or a non-GMO variety. So for corn specifically, look for non-GMO because corn is one of those crops that we genetically modify. And they're not going to tell you, hey, this... Uh, <laughs> corn was bioengineered. Um, and so, um, yeah, that's your good option is an organic variety or a non-GMO. And then your best is 100% organic, whole grain or sprouted variety. I know that you can buy a really good, um, bag of organic sprouted oats for like oatmeal. And then you don't have to worry about soaking them ahead of time. You can just make it on your kitchen stove for oatmeal in the morning or for bars or whatever you want. And that's a great option. Um, Nuts actually too, you can buy organic and sprouted. So it eliminates some of that phytic acid that might be um, inhibiting your absorption of key minerals. So that's one of the blessings of 2022 is that, you know, this day and age, we do have access to some of these foods that are already like pre prepared for us, not saying that they're processed in a negative way. It's actually a positive processing. So, um, like I said, good option would be the non GMO. A little bit better would be the organic. Absolutely best would be one hundred percent organic, whole grain, you know, heirloom heritage variety and sprouted. So
1: right on. And so um anything more on grains, legumes, dot seeds? Before we move on.
0: Nope. I think that's it.
1: Fruits and vegetables.
0: So again, I'm kind of repeating it because the principles are all the same, right? We're we're looking for the most naturally occurring, nutrient-dense, bioavailable food sources. That's what we want to spend our hard-earned money on. I don't want to spend my money on weird strawberry flavoring, right? I don't mm. want to spend my money on a, you know, a tons of boxes of chips and crackers and fruit snacks that um, cost me a lot of money but don't give me high nutrient value. Mm. Not saying we never buy those things, but saying I want to divert the bulk of my funds to the biggest bang for my buck. So again, I'm going to say like if you're buying fruits and vegetables, first of all, amazing. Buy the fruits and vegetables over the, you know, processed Foods in the center aisles, anyways. That's great. It would be great if you could buy um, some organic at the store because at least then you know that it was grown without synthetic um, herbicide and pesticide. You also know that it was grown without the use of sewage sludge, which is a topic that we have yet to um, discuss on this podcast. I did a whole Instagram live on the topic. Um, It's a really tricky subject because our farmland is being applied with um, poultry wastewater, which is like the the leftover liquid solution from like washing down all the chickens and then all of the chemicals used to then sanitize that room that all goes down the drain into, um, you know, a, a processing plant and then sprayed out onto our fields, which sounds really strange, but it's happening. Um, same thing with Uh, like biosolids so things that we flush down our toilets in our homes our hospitals our places of work um, can be deemed as beneficial use and so therefore they can be instead of being dumped into a landfill they can be applied to our agricultural land so that's a really big topic I don't want to freak anyone out about but I do want to say that your fruits and vegetables can be grown in in this um environment that is being applied with this stuff unless it's organic and organic doesn't allow for the, the use of biosolids so um or sewage sludge as people might say so um you can learn more about that from the epa you can learn more about that on the instagram live i did there's also a couple documentaries on that that are really beneficial so um better so the good option would be like grocery store organic right or you know soak your veggies if they're not organic but ideally yeah um an even better option would be local right go to your farmer's market like I said before they might not be paying for the organic certification and that's okay you can have a conversation with them most of the time you can say hey I know you're really busy can I come visit your farm um it's basic people relations.
1: But local, right? Like local can use pesticides, herbicides, sludge. Absolutely. You you're saying local meaning local and then you get to know who's making it. Right. And you also confirm that they're growing their their produce, their vegetables, their their whatever in a what we would call quote unquote organic way.
0: Yeah. That's a good point too because local can mean hey it's conventionally grown and it's genetically modified and they're using all kinds of inputs on their land then yeah you don't want to buy local you don't want to you don't want to support that system the the key with local is is in hopes that you have a relationship with that person and that can look like going to a farmer's market and asking them right there in the stand that can look like going to farmmatch.com and finding a local farmer and calling them up and saying hey walk me through your growing processes walk me through your farming philosophy um like i've said a million times most people love when you take an interest in what they're doing so um you know even better is homegrown stuff if there's a little garden you can start if there's herbs at least you can put in a pot if there's one i remember our very first thing we ever grew here was like one roma tomato plant in a pot on our back deck Mm -hmm. and then we had like a pot of herbs and like we can make beautiful salsas and pastas and whatever with that very minimal like output or yield but um It's just one little thing that we could Mm -hmm. do. It also, like, familiarizes yourself with, like, natural biology. So it's a cool thing um, to do. Now, I I can't talk about produce without talking about, like, the dirty dozen, (laughs) which everyone talks about. Um, So the Environmental Working Group puts out a list every single year of the most... um, it's not the most highly sprayed. It's the fruits and vegetables that have the highest amount of residue of pesticide. So, grown conventionally, they have the most residue still on the fruit or vegetable when you go to eat it. Um, they just released their 2022 list. It looks pretty much the same year after year. Um, but they also have a Clean 15, which is like, hey, these have the least amount of residue. I do want to preface though that like I believe papayas, um, sweet corn, and potatoes are on their Clean 15, but those are all three products that can hypothetically be genetically modified. So it's tricky because if you're you're looking to avoid GMOs and you're like, okay, well, I can at least buy this thing conventional. Well, uh, it's up to you, you know, does that make sense?
1: Totally makes sense, yeah.
0: So they ha- they might have lower pesticide usage, but there's not also—it's not guaranteeing that they're not genetically modified. So, I would encourage you if you want to look into that, um, you can check out those lists. They're on the EWG's website. Um, I also just like to use um, a little bit of common sense here, right? So, like anything with a really thin, permeable skin is probably going to be really susceptible to sprays. Um, like strawberries and berries, right? Those are really delicate. Those are not something that we can like scrub um, or soak with a ton of success. Um, I like to say even potatoes too, like they're growing in the ground on the roots. It's a tuber. And so it's probably soaking up a lot of whatever is being applied to the land versus like an orange, which you can maybe wash the rind and then peel it, might look different. You see what I'm saying? Totally. So it's like the the structural makeup of the fruit or vegetable itself can kind of give you some common sense as to like, hey, should I buy this organic or should I buy it conventional? Um, but there's a nuance there as as usual. So.
1: Right on. Let's uh, let's get into some fats and oil.
0: Yeah. So this is <clears throat> another one that I have a never category on, because. Um, Industrial vegetable oils or, quote, seed oils are something that we have just chosen to take out of our diet as much as possible. Now, anytime we eat out at a restaurant, we know that we are being exposed to those things. It's not like a we never consume seed oils. But overall, um, I think it's a really good point to say that if you see the words vegetable oil on a bottle of, like, yellowish oil at the grocery store, it's not Coming from a vegetable, I don't know how else to say that without sounding like an idiot. But it's not; it's not coming from a vegetable. It's coming from a seed. It's usually coming from like um, corn or soy or um, canola, which is really the rape plant, um, grapes seed, um, sunflower seed. These are all veg- or Sorry, these are all seed oils that usually require heavy amounts of machinery to process them to extract the oils, um, using a high heat processing, unless it says cold pressed. Um, and then they're like sanitized and deodorized and, um, the process to make these oils are not as simple as like gently squeezing an avocado, see, or avocado might be a bad example, gently squeezing, um, the rapeseed, right? To create canola oil. It's a really in-depth process and it usually leads to a product that is higher in omega-6 fatty acids than what we would want to see um, because we like to see the ratio between omega-3s and omega-6s as more as like a 1 to 2 ratio where sometimes these things can be like 1 to 20. So um, in general, the American diet is overly high in omega-6s. Which is why we um, tend to steer away from these industrial seed oils. So,
1: Wouldn't oil coming from corn technically be a vegetable oil? Yeah. Okay. You were just saying that it can come from corn and it's a seed oil. And I was just confirming.
0: <sighs> yeah. I just mean like veg corn, first of all, is a grain. So I don't think of corn as like a fresh vegetable that you're okay. <laughs> consuming. It's not coming from sweet corn um okay and so i'd have to look into exactly which part of the corn is pressed into the oil um i know like rice bran oil is commonly used mm. in restaurants okay. um i know that um yeah the grapeseed oil also is really commonly used in restaurants crisco is just um is just hydrogenized vegetable oil that's been like whipped into this thing that kind of replaces like a lard or a tallow Mm, um sunflower oil is really popular Mm. right sunflower is not a vegetable um soy soybean oil Mm -hmm. soy is a seed Mm -hmm. it's a legume um not technically like a fresh vegetable it's a grain Mm. so a lot of these things peanut oil exactly also a legume yeah so a lot of these things are grains peanut
1: oil is most commonly found in restaurants as something like deep fry foods as, as i'm aware okay
0: yeah, is that what you guys mm-hmm. use, like at IHOP?
1: Um, i I don't think we did. Uh, Do you I remember can't, what it was? I can't remember what we used for the fryer. Because I think for peanut allergies, we were.
0: Oh, that's true. We were
1: avoiding that. I think.
0: I think also another thing is to say. Okay, so corn oil is extracted from the germ of the corn. Has a high smoke point um, makes refined corn oil a valuable frying oil. Um,
1: Not a big deal. I was just it, my brain when you said that was like, huh? I wonder if that's confusing for this idea. I am also very much. I see a bottle of. I mean, we all know what the bottle looks like right? Yeah. It says vegetable oil. Yeah. Um, there are much better oils than that. Is I think what we're what we're ultimately saying. And the the definition of it being a vegetable oil is one of those things where I'm like. Well if it's coming from corn, like in my opinion, it corn healthy. is te- well corn is technically a vegetable and I'm like, oh, well, if it's coming from corn, you could call it vegetable. It doesn't mean that we're promoting it. It's just um, um,
0: so I would say that sweet corn is technically under the vegetable category under the seeds category, I believe. okay again it's tricky because you can call anything a seed but like at the end of the day wheat is a seed right Mm. um there's also like maize which is corn that is usually used for like tortillas or um, that's more of a molly and i think that's just a harder i don't know maybe i maybe i should specify there but um
1: not a huge deal we do did not, do not, do not do you're get not stuck eating, corn.
0: You're not eating maize on, off the cob, I guess I should say.
1: So fats and oils, What's what are what are our recommendations, our soft recommendations?
0: Yeah. So uh, obviously animal fats is something that I'm a big fan of. Um, and here you're looking for pasture-raised animal fats. Um, great if it also says organic, but it's it might not. Um, so here you're looking at lard. You're looking at tallow, um, bacon fat, any kind of poultry fat, mm. like duck fat, chicken oh, yeah. fat. Um, And these can be things that, like, you're rendering out of your own animals. You're not necessarily, like, buying a jar of chicken fat at the store. But know that, like, if you're cooking a whole chicken, you can absolutely use that rendered beautiful chicken fat Mm -hmm. to cook your vegetables. Or Or the chicken that you're
1: currently making. Yeah, or, yeah,
0: confit it. Or, um, like, your dad used to say that they used to make the best popcorn with poultry fat, chicken fat. And so...
1: That sounds really good.
0: Exactly. Beautiful, beautiful animal fats, naturally occurring... um, usually these are going to be saturated fats. So, um, again, if you want more education on why those things are okay, um, there's an abundance of resources on my, uh, Instagram account on saturated fat. Um, also dairy fats like butter and ghee. So you want these to be, um, from pasture cows, grass-fed cows. Um, I will say that raw butter to me is not my favorite thing. I personally do not like the raw butter that, um, we have access to right now. I think um, if and when we purchase from Azure Standard, we might try their raw butter selections. Um, But butter to me doesn't, is not like as hard and fast of a raw as what I choose every time as it is with fluid dairy, like milk. Mm. So I'm okay with some grass fed butter, um, even knowing if that that cream was um, involved in a pasteurization process. Um, and then ghee is just a clarified butter, um, which a lot of people like to use and, and you can use it the same way. And then fruit oils. I think this is a much better way to say, um, th- to describe these oils because they're coming from olives, avocados and coconut, right on. which all of those are technically fruits. So cold pressed extra virgin olive oil is a great option. I actually just recently learned too that. Something you want to look for is like single source mm-hmm. or single origin because as we're talking about these vegetable oils too, like a lot of these oils can be cut with different types of oil and they're just like a hodgepodge. Mm. Um, your vegetable oil can also be cut with some of these cheaper seed oils. So that's why you want to see like a single origin. You know the the like vineyard or place that these olives were grown. They've been cold pressed. Um, for avocado oil, expeller pressed is, ov- is often a term used there. And then um, organic coconut oil. So um, we actually purchase refined coconut oil um, because we it takes out some of the flavor and the um, aroma of coconut. Um, this is, from my understanding, and according to Sally Fallon herself, this is not the same detrimental refinement that happens with other oils. So to me, refined coconut oil is okay um, to eliminate some of that coconut-y, flavor. Um, but again, that's up to you just to decide whether you want to use refined coconut oil or not.
1: Right on. So fats and oils, um, animal fats and fruit.
0: Yep. And oils. and again, another like sourcing tip here is like there's some great online markets you can get these things from. Um, I know Fatworks and Epic both are good brands that create sort of like pasture raised animal fats. Azure Standard, as I mentioned, has good raw butter um, bulk fats as well and then um, you can often get like a lard or a tallow from a local farm and you might have to be purchasing it unrendered and then render it yourself in a big pot Um, but know that like you can source your animal fats locally too and so anyone that's like butchering an animal for muscle meat is also going to have that fat too and sometimes that fat is thrown away or sold to other people Um, and so you can kind of get on that buying list as well
1: right on and um was there anything else you had for that i feel like we're getting to the point where we can start wrapping it up yeah right on um wow i feel like i just attended a college course i'm actually a little bit tired (laughs) i feel like i learned so much uh thank you that was that was awesome um
0: was it the beaver that really stuck out the beaver
1: was was definitely a highlight for my day (laughs) i'm I'm not going to forget that that's for sure um it's like, I'll probably do a couple of Google searches just, <laughs> just because, just to confirm. um, um,
0: don't do a Google image search. That's my only warning.
1: I definitely won't. <laughs> I, I don't typically go that route for any kind of Google search that I'm doing now. Um, yeah, I'll be definitely cons- reconsidering the next LaCroix that I, that that I considered to, 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 to open. Uh, I actually almost never drink LaCroix, so I don't even know why I'm saying that. And I'm
0: not saying that like LaCroix specifically utilizes that. I just don't know.
1: I kind of hope they do. Bubble. (laughs) I don't know why. That could be hilarious.
0: Bubble water is really tricky.
1: Anyways, um, this is this is what we're doing this for. Hey, if if you learn something today, keep listening. Um, We're gonna keep we're gonna keep turning these things out. I'm gonna keep learning. Um, I already feel like because of this podcast because i've been able to have these long form conversations with elizabeth that i'm I'm learning a ton and um this episode today was really inspired by a resource that we've created to uh to do this very thing and if you're a podcast listener, um this is why we have this for you is so you can learn these topics but if you want to dive in deeper and have something that can kind of talk through work through all of these concepts all these recommendations all the sourcing um created the real food guide it's at homegrowneducation.org get on there we have products and we have books for sale one of which is the real food guide um it is essentially how we formulated this discussion today
0: Mm -hmm. and we took uh two pages out of the entire guide that we talked through out of the 25 total so don't feel like oh what other information am I going to get? Um, there's an abundance in there.
1: Go on there, get the Real Food Guide, um, and start and start uh, start your journey into real food. If you're already on the journey, maybe you already have the Real Food Guide. Um, there's other stuff too. Hey, we we've got books on there for for your kids, uh, whether they're you know young kids all the way up till sixth seventh grade. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got we've got curriculums on there, and if if you're if you're as the summer's approaching, looking for uh, some awesome material to work through your kids with as you also you know are are growing or starting your own garden or um or if you're just trying to get them in the game and and begin changing the way this generational you know approach to food occurs um get those get those books they're awesome um, everything from handwriting and activities for young kids to Know, deep dives in, in nutrition and, and activities and, and recipes that your kids can cook um, pr- pretty awesome stuff uh, finally we we know that we know that this this journey can be challenging it can be tough and um, quite frankly as of today it's not super convenient if anything it goes against the grain of convenience yep and while there's a weird part of me personally that likes that I like the uh, going against the grain of convenience and um, taking some some control and some self sustainability, uh, you know, for myself. Uh, we've also created some things to reintroduce convenience into a world of, of uh, um, going after uh, real food and nu- nu- you know nutritionally dense foods in our homes.
0: Mm-hmm. Less convenience, more structure.
1: Well, you know, structure, you know, can be a part of convenience. I think, uh, but I agree with you. Uh, this idea of meal planning can be tough, mm-hmm. but meal planning in itself helps stimulate, you know, a a more um, convenient, eh, no, and maybe it isn't convenient. Anyways, uh, what's for dinner? <laughs> there's a book, there's a book uh, that that's the, a resource that helps uh, do just that. Yeah. It almost is the meal plan, right? But even more than that, it's the, it, maybe this is the convenience factor. It's Pre-written grocery lists. Um, thinking about the next week of, of of meals. Boom, grab what's for dinner. Open it up, find the find the shopping lists. Go to the store, get the stuff that you need. Use the Real Food Guide to help you source those products, and um, and then you've got some really nutritious, amazing meals. And uh, you don't necessarily have to to uh, um, sit down and with a notebook and a, a whiteboard and plan out your next week because we already did that for you. Mm -hmm. So, um, And if you want to learn more about um, our living situation and why we live in the suburbs or how we source our food or you just want to hear me talk a little bit more because this wasn't good enough, uh, you can find both Elizabeth and myself on Instagram. Um, Elizabeth is at homegrown underscore education. Um, I am at Joey Hazelmeyer. And um, get out there and, and uh, get after some real food. Yep. Yeah. That's a wrap for today.